This morning we're going to be finishing up, at least uh, for this year, um, our study in 1 Corinthians. Uh, the next few Sundays we'll be focusing specifically on Christmas, and then we'll pick up our study back in this book in January. So uh, today we're going to be looking at this last little sh- uh, section in chapter 12, this uh, first uh, 11 verses, the last little section that we haven't covered, uh, we're going to study that this morning, uh, trusting that God is going to equip us to learn and to know um, how to think about spiritual gifts. So um, follow along. I'm going to be reading, let's start at verse 4 and we'll go down through verse 11. We're going to be focusing on verses 8 to 10, but let's start at verse 4 and, and read down to verse 11. So follow along with me. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let me pray for us this morning before we begin. God, we trust you this morning that you will help us to learn and you will help us to understand what you would like us to see as you've written this letter to the Corinthians and what, what is it you want us to know? What is it you want us to see about spiritual gifts? Spirit, I believe in you, I trust in you and I pray that you would help me this morning as I speak. I pray that um, your word uh, would go forth in such a way that we would grasp it, that we would love it, uh, that we would understand it, and Father, that we would desire to obey it. So we trust you this morning that you'll help us in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Let me just read you a couple of verses. You don't have to turn there, but let me just read you a couple of verses that talk about the Spirit of God. And we know that the Spirit of God gives gifts. But there's some other things that we need to know about the Spirit of God. Let me just read you um, some verses. Romans 8, 4 says this. Walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We're supposed to walk according to the Spirit. The next verse, Romans 8, 5, continues and says, Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So we have walking by the Spirit and we have living by the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18 adds this. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So we're to walk, we're to live, and we're to be filled by the Spirit. Now this morning, as we study through these gifts that Paul is describing to this struggling church here at Corinth, it's very tempting for us uh, to become curious about our own gifts. We kind of want to know, well, God, how have you gifted me? How would I define what you've given me? How am I to understand that? How am I to put my spiritual gifts into practice? And if you would go out there in 
Christendom and go to any Christian bookstore and you will find umpteen numbers of resources about spiritual gifts. There's charts out there. There's whole books out there. There's questionnaires to help you to narrow down and really define and determine what your spiritual gift is. But here's the reality. Your spiritual gift isn't the issue. It really doesn't matter, frankly, on what your spiritual gift is. What is the issue? Well, the issue is, is that you walk by the Spirit. Because if you walk by the Spirit, and if you live by the Spirit, and if you're filled with the Spirit, then the Spirit of God is going to minister through you in such a way that you'll be exercising your gift whether you know exactly what it is or not. This isn't an academic thing. It isn't a quiz uh, to find a score. It's a matter of saying, Holy Spirit, I want you to dominate my life. I want you to control my life. And as I yield to you, I trust that you're going to use whatever gift that you've given me to minister to other people. And so one of the best ways to figure out what your gift is, is just to do what God has called you to do, to minister the way God has called you to minister, and you'll look back and you'll say, oh, that's what I do. That must be the gift that God has called me to do. So you may go for a lifetime without being able to define exactly what it is that your gift is, but just know that as you're walking by the Spirit, He's going to use you. So we're going to go through some of these gifts this morning, but I don't want you to get all hung up on, well, is this me? Is that me? Is this that person? Uh, Maybe this gift should be mine. Um, I just want you to know uh, that as you walk by the Spirit, God's going to use you. The other reason why it's difficult to define exactly what a single person's gift is is because they overlap. There's sometimes and often is more than one and they they sort of overlap i was i was watching of all things this week i was watching a a painting show on on television with abby and uh, this guy was painting with watercolors and he would take blue and he would kind of rub blue across the canvas and and then green and he'd add a little white and yellow and he'd throw it all in there and in the end when the picture was done it was this beautiful scenery of of a seaside Uh, picture of Scotland it was beautiful when it was all done but if you would try to take apart every one of those colors you'd have a hard time because they all sort of blended together there was some that overlapped Uh, two colors would come together and form another color it's the same way with our spiritual gifts God might bless us with this one and he might splatter in a little bit of this one and he might give an overabundance of this one that in the end, you're this beautiful picture of exactly how God wants you to be. But to try to pick apart every little piece would be extremely difficult. So we're going to go through these gifts this morning, um, but I don't want you, again, to get too worked up over, well, I don't see myself anywhere here. I don't find myself anywhere here. You just minister uh, where God has asked you to minister, uh, where God has equipped you, and one day when you get to heaven and you're face-to-face with God, you can ask him, now what were my gifts exactly? Because I'm I'm just curious to know. Okay? So I I just want us to know that as we head in uh, this morning. Now, if you have your message notes in front of you, um, you're going to notice something very unusual uh, on them. Uh, the front side of the message notes is blank uh, with the exception of the title. 
And there's a very specific reason uh, why I put the notes like that. And the reason is this. I ran out of time. (laughs) I just flat ran out of time. Uh, We had a funeral here this week and... Um, so the, the notes are in my head. Um, I normally lay them out, hopefully this easy to remember way, but you're just on your own this morning. Uh, you're just going to take your notes however, however you want to take them. But I'm going to try to help you as we go along so that you can write down uh, notes in a meaningful way. Now, as we look at verses 8 to 10, and we're going to kind of zone in here this morning, let me first say that verses 8 to 10 is a partial list of gifts. This is not meant, these these three verses are not meant to be an exhaustive list of all of the gifts that God can give to an individual. In fact, verse 28 in this chapter gives us some additional gifts. Romans 12 supplies a list of gifts, and some of them overlap, some of them are unique. And 1 Peter 4 adds a few gifts. So the ones we're going to zone in this morning are not exhaustive. So if you don't see yourself here, there may be a good reason why. It's okay. Uh, The reason why Paul put these particular gifts in this particular letter is because these were the gifts that the Corinthians were prone to abuse. The gifts that Paul mentions here are what we would tend to call the showier gifts or uh, the more out front gifts. They were the speaking gifts and the miraculous kinds of gifts. They were the ones that the Corinthians had this fascination with. Corinthians loved orators. They loved speakers. They loved anyone who could give them this new bit of knowledge. And Corinthians loved the wow factor in life. If you've ever watched a magic show, you'll know in the magic show that sometimes there's this puff of smoke. And when the smoke clears, there's something standing there that you totally didn't expect. The Corinthians are kind of like that. They, they kind of like that puff, that, that wow sort of factor. And the gifts of miracles, the, the gifts of healing, some of these miraculous powers... The Corinthians sort of attached to those because in their pride, they like to be the ones associated with those wow kind of gifts. So they like the speaking gifts. They like to be known as the wise of their community and they like the miraculous kinds of gifts. So it's no wonder that Paul chooses to take these gifts and put them in this letter. So it's not an exhaustive list, but it's ones that this church was particularly prone to abuse. Now, here in the first part of chapter 12, Paul's just going to kind of introduce the gifts. Later in chapter 13, and particularly in chapter 14, he's going to expand on the gifts quite a bit more. So this morning, it's kind of an introduction. It's kind of a... Let's define what these are, knowing that as we go through the rest of this particular section of 1 Corinthians, we'll gain a whole lot more understanding of what these particular spiritual gifts of the Spirit are. Now, to help you with your note-taking, here's how I would encourage you to take notes. You can do it how you want. But each of these gifts, as as we go through, are paired with the exception of maybe faith, which we'll study here in a second, Every one of the other gifts, there's two of them that go together. And there's a specific reason why they go together. If you look at verse 8, you'll see the first pair. There's the utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge. Those two gifts tend to go hand in hand. 
in verses 9 and 10, you see faith is kind of hanging there by itself, although it is related to healing and, and miraculous gifts. But you see faith, and then you see the next pair, and that is the gifts of healing and the working of miracles. Those two go together, healing and miracles. And then the next pair are prophecy and the ability to distinguish between spirits. And we'll We'll talk about why those two go together, but you must have the distinguishing of the spirits when there's the gift of prophecy present. And then finally, the last pair that show up is the gift of tongues, and then, of course, the interpretation of those tongues. So each pair go together and form a specific reason in Paul's mind why they're together, um, and that's how I would take notes if I were you. So let's study through them together and let's look at them. Pair number one, come in verse eight. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Now these two, like I said, go hand in hand, but I tend to find it's easier to define knowledge first and then come back to wisdom. Um, And so we'll do it that way. Knowledge, the the gift of knowledge uh, given by the Spirit is the knowing the understanding and the explaining to God's people his revelation in the scriptures. It's the ability to dig deeply into the word of God. It's the ability to um, dig deeply into the mind of God and to come away with a vast competence and a skill in the word of God. For example, we, we might say that theologians... have the gift of knowledge. They have the gift of being able to study the scriptures and and think um, with the mind of Christ and, and pull out of scripture and pull out of God's word the meaning of that text. And we say that it's it's very deep, it's very meaty. I read a, a theological paper this past summer, and as I read this paper, quite honestly, it just sort of went whew straight over my head. This, this guy was into um, definitions and technical breakdowns of Hebrew and Greek words and adverbs and, and adjectives, and, and he lost me really, really quick. And it's not to say that his paper wasn't good. It was, it was probably excellent. But it's, it's that deep sort of knowledge that God has blessed him with that allows him to go that deep into Scripture and to pull out those intricate kind of, of details commentaries are like that to some degree and that's why guys like me read commentaries and and find this vast knowledge that God has blessed men with and and sort of bring that out so that we understand what it is that, that scripture has to tell us now to go along with knowledge if all we had was knowledge then at least in some point every one of us would be sitting there with the sound going over our head And so when God gives the gift of knowledge, he also gives the gift of wisdom. Because the gift of wisdom is the ability to take the facts that the gift of knowledge brings out, and it's to take that knowledge and it's to apply it to the life of an individual. So we might say that a counselor can take the knowledge of Scripture and he can apply it to the life of a person who's hurting. We might say that a pastor uh, can take the gift of someone else's knowledge and bring that knowledge to bear on the life of the congregation. Say, now this is how you apply it. This is what it looks like in real life. 
It might be a small group leader or a Sunday school teacher who can take all that knowledge that they've, they've gained from others and say, now, this is how God would want that to look on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when we're in school, when we're in work, whether we're at home, wherever we're at. So it's the gift of knowledge, grasping the meaning of the text, along with the gift of wisdom, applying it to the person that brings conviction and brings about proper conduct in the church. That's the two gifts that go together. Now, the Corinthians, as you recall, struggled with what wisdom really is. You remember that they thought wisdom was just lofty speech of things unknown. And Paul came along in chapter 1 and he said, here's what true wisdom is. True wisdom is taking the knowledge of Jesus Christ and understanding that it was him that brings about salvation. That's the application of Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of some verses that we studied a long time ago. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through its wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. What is the wisdom of God? 1 Corinthians one twenty one. To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What is the wisdom of God? It's the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's the application of Jesus Christ. It's why we're celebrating Christmas. It's why we do Advent. It's the knowledge that we're sinners and that God in his wisdom designed a plan and said, here's my wisdom. I'm going to send my son Jesus Christ into the world. He'll live and he'll do what no man or woman or child could ever do. He'll be sinless and yet he'll die as a substitute. That's God's wisdom. And in God's wisdom, he said, Jesus Christ won't just die for sinful man, but he'll raise again. And when he raise, raises, he'll ascend back to the Father. And when he ascends to the Father, God says, in my wisdom, I'll send the Spirit. And the Spirit's going to come and he's going to convict people of sin and judgment and righteousness. And as he convicts, people will turn from their wicked ways. They'll repent of their sins. They'll trust and they'll believe in Jesus Christ. That's the wisdom of God found in the face of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the gifts of knowledge and wisdom, what we're talking about is this. The gift of knowledge says, what do the scriptures teach us about Jesus Christ? What can I gain from the Old Testament and the New Testament about this person of Jesus Christ? That's the wisdom, that's the knowledge of who he is. The wisdom of God saying, this is how it looks. Now that I know who Jesus Christ is, now that I know why all the prophecies were predicted and why he walked on the earth, the wisdom of God and the wisdom of Jesus Christ say, you repent of your sins, you believe. So the gift of knowledge The gift of wisdom is to help us as a body to know about Jesus Christ and know how to live out that gospel, how to live out the truth of that gospel, okay? So we have wisdom, we have knowledge. What about faith, gift of faith? If you look at verse nine, he says, to another faith by the same spirit. Now this isn't saving faith, 
because every believer has saving faith. So this is different than saving faith. This gift of faith is the complete and unshakable trust that God is going to use some ministry to bless others. It's faith that says, God, I know you're going to work. You guys remember the story of a guy named George Mueller? George Mueller was a man in the 1800s. He lived over in England and he ran an orphanage. And the neat thing about George Mueller was that he had the gift of faith. And never once did he tell anyone what they needed at the orphanage. Instead, he would just simply pray about it. And time after time after time, resources and money and food would show up at George Mueller's door when he had told no one about it other than God. And he said, God, I trust you. I have faith that you're going to supply our needs. It was an extraordinary gift of faith that George Mueller possessed. That's what this gift of faith is about. It's not the gift of faith that each one of us receives when we believe in Jesus, but it's an extraordinary amount of faith. Some of you have that. I've been around some of you, and and you just have faith. God's going to do it, and and I just trust Him. I know how this is going to work. I've seen God do it over and over, and and you just pray, and you're content, and and you don't worry about it. You just have faith that it's going to work. That's one of the gifts of the Spirit of God. What's the next pair? If you look in verse 9, the next pair is the gift of healing. And into verse 10, the working of miracles. These two things are are closely related. Healing was the God-given ability to bring physical restoration to a person, either just through a spoken word or through a touch. It was to bring about physical healing. Now, it's important to know as, as we go through these gifts that some of these gifts are what we call temporary gifts and some of these gifts are what we call permanent gifts. What do you mean by that when you talk about that? Well, there were temporary gifts that were given to to the early church to validate the message that was being preached. Know that when Paul is writing this and when the other uh, New Testament writers are, are pinning, the New Testament is not yet complete. Uh, the New Testament wasn't written like you and I have it. The words are being pinned even as the miracles were happening. So in order to authenticate the message, in order to validate what was being spoken, God provided a sign and he gave certain people the gift of healing. And so what would happen would be the apostles and the prophets, they would teach and they would say something like, thus saith the Lord, here's what the Lord is teaching us. And after they would preach or as they were preaching, they would perform miracles. They would heal people around them. And that healing would bring validity to the message that they spoke. How would you know a true apostle from a false apostle? Well, you would know the true apostle because he would say something. Here's what God is teaching and here's what God's going to do. And then he would just do it. He would heal a person. And you would have to look at the miracle and say, God must have given him that gift of healing. Therefore, what he's telling us must be true. Now, we know that this is the case. If, if you'll keep your finger where it's at now and flip over into 2 Corinthians chapter 12, let me show you a verse there. Um, flip over and... 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, tells us how we can tell a true apostle from a false apostle. 
why God gave this gift of healing to the apostles. Here's what it says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. It says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience. How? With signs and wonders and mighty works. The signs and wonders and mighty works included the healing. That's how it validated. That's how you knew this is a true apostle. He would heal an individual and thereby prove that what God was speaking through him was true. If the guy would speak and say, thus saith the Lord, now I'm going to heal over here and he couldn't do it, then that was a sign that he was a false apostle, that there was no validity in his message. Romans 15 gives credence to this as well. Let me read this. Paul says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. There's the goal. He wants to bring the Gentiles to obedience. How? By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders. So he wants to bring them to obedience to the word of God. How? By doing signs and wonders among them. He does healing among them so that they would believe him when he gave the word and thereby believe the word and obey it. So the sign of, of healing was to, ver- to verify, to validate the message. Hebrews 2 says the same thing. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was first declared by God, excuse me, by the Lord. Second, it was attested by, to us by those who heard And third, God bore witness, how? By signs and wonders and various miracles distributed by the Holy Spirit. The Lord spoke the word. It says the the apostles heard it and they proclaimed it. And God bore witness to it by allowing them to do miracles. So how did you know if what Peter and, and Paul and James was saying was true? They were given the gift of healing. That was the attesting to the word that was being spoken. So when people heard the gospel, they knew it was true because of the miraculous healings. But hear me now. Once the gospel had spread, once the Holy Spirit had had overseen the writing of the New Testament, once the early church had come into maturity, there was no longer the need for certain gifts. And the gifts of healing, the gift of healing was no longer necessary to attest the message because the message had already been spoken and in fact it had been written. So once the canon is closed, that we say, once the New Testament is finished being written, the gift of healing is no longer necessary because we no longer need the attesting to someone who's speaking. We now have it written in the, in the word of God. That's why we call it a temporary gift. If you go back and you study in scripture, healing was never used as an end. Healing was never used as a ministry just to heal. It was always accompanied by the preaching of the gospel or or the calling for the obedience to the gospel. The two always went hand in hand. And so as the gospel was proclaimed and as it spread, the New Testament was finished, we no longer needed the gift of healing. Paul himself implies this. Let me show you this. Later in Paul's ministry, um, he implies that the gift of healing is already beginning to cease. How so? 
Would you remember when Timothy was sick? What did he tell Timothy to do? Did he tell Timothy to go find someone with a gift of healing to heal him? No, he told Timothy, drink some wine. Uh, Paul was the same guy who said that his friend Epaphroditus was near death, but Paul didn't heal him. Uh, Paul was the same guy that left Trophimus um, ill in the city of Miletus. He left him ill. Why? Why didn't he heal him? Because the gift of healing was given to authenticate the message. It wasn't just for the mere fact of providing physical restoration. So even in Paul's ministry, the gift of healing was beginning to, to fade out. Now, can God miraculously heal a person today? Of course he can. God can do whatever he wants. Once We all know people uh, that were sick one day and the next day God miraculously healed them. We know that and we believe that. But the normative gift of healing given to the apostles and given to the prophets ceased as the canon of scripture was completed. It's not something that's normative today. That's why we call it a miracle it's something that, that's not nearly as common as it was when you read in the New Testament. So we call the gift of healing a temporary gift. Now, I told you that the gift of healing and the gift of miracles are a pair. The two, the two go hand in hand. The gift of miracles simply means power, the power to do something. The apostles were all given the power to cast out demons, They were also given the power to heal. You remember that Peter's shadow, they would even lay people out in the street in the hopes that Peter's shadow would pass over them because he had so much power, so much of the gifting of miracles in his life that even his shadow would heal those uh, that it touched. So the gift of miracles is a very general word to talk about the energizing or the power given to the apostles and to the prophets to carry out some of these miraculous gifts that they had in terms of of healing. Now again, what did the miracles attest to? Well, they attested that the proclaimers of the gospel were true. They had the power of God to go along with this message and they supported one another. But once that message was authenticated, once the scripture was, was written, those gifts began to disappear, to fade off of the scene. So we would say that the gift of healing, the gift of miracles uh, were temporary gifts used to bring about the, the writing of scripture and the maturity of the early church. Now what about the next pair of gifts? The next pair of gifts are the gifts of prophecy and the ability to distinguish between spirits. First of all, we've got to say, what is, what is prophecy? What is, what, is a, what is a prophet? Well, a New Testament prophet was like an Old Testament prophet, and it was a person who received and declared a message of God for his people. 1 Corinthians 14 gives an excellent definition. It says this. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. A prophet would speak a message to the people and he would encourage them with the message of God. Prophecy is not always about prediction. 
In fact, if you go back in the Old Testament and you read the, the Old Testament prophets, only about a third of the prophecy is actually predicting something that's going to happen in the future. The bulk of prophecy is to, make, to take a message that was already given and remind the people of it to make application of it, to to tell the people, don't forget what God has told us. And and they would give the message again. It was something that was already given by God, and it was a call to, to live that out. So the New Testament prophet would receive a message from God about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he would relay it to his hearers. Now remember, the New Testament is just now being written when this has taken place. It was the way that the early church got their information. They couldn't turn to the, to the Hebrews. They couldn't turn to First and Second Corinthians. The way they got their mess, message and information about Jesus Christ was through the prophets that were gifted in their church. God would give them a message and they would say, oh, that's what it means about Jesus Christ. That's why he did this. That's why he said that. That's what the, the prophets would do. Now, We don't know exactly how that looked. Did God speak audibly to the prophets and and then they would give the message? Or did God plant something in their mind and, and they would give the message? We don't know exactly how that worked. But we do know that the gift of prophecy was given to the apostles and given to these people called prophets. And they would pass that message along to the people. Now, let me make a quick distinction between apostles and prophets because you've got to grasp this to understand what Paul's getting ready to say. An apostle was someone who saw Jesus Christ directly. He was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. He walked with Jesus Christ. He accompanied him through his earthly ministry. And he saw Jesus after Jesus was raised from the dead. That was an apostle. An apostle, when he spoke, like Peter or Paul When they spoke, they spoke authoritatively for all churches for all of time. That's why we have their writings in the scripture. A prophet didn't have to meet those stringent qualifications. A prophet was more localized. A prophet spoke more to a specific group of people. So you have the apostles who walked with Jesus, saw him in his risen state. Uh, They spoke to everyone, all churches, all the time. And then you have these prophets that God gifted in the various churches to help them understand what the word of God was for them. So the apostles and the prophets both delivered God's message, his gospel, the excellency when a prophet stood up in church and he said thus saith the Lord and he began to speak he began to give a revelation of God we needed something else to come alongside and authenticate that message and the one who came alongside and authenticated the message was the one who was gifted with distinguishing between spirits that person heard the prophet and what the prophet had to say and that person said Yes, that message is from God. Or, no, that message is not from God. I don't know where it's from, but that, that is not at all lining up with what God is, is revealing to me. So you had the gift of prophecy, a, a person speaking, but you had to have somebody authenticate it. These are, are human beings. They didn't walk directly with Jesus necessarily. So we needed somebody to come along and authenticate what they had to say. Now, these offices of 
prophecy and these uh, offices of distinguishing between gifts, um, these were temporary offices. Apostles were temporary offices. How do we know? Well, if you had to walk with Jesus and you had to see him raised from the dead in order to be apostle, I'm pretty sure that all the apostles are now dead because that was a qualification. There are no apostles today because none of us in this room and nor anyone living on earth today walked with Jesus while he was in his earthly ministry. So there are no more apostles. What about, what about prophets? Well, the office of prophets came to a conclusion uh, when the early church came to maturity. How do we know that? Well, in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, and we'll be studying this in a few weeks, says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Prophecies will pass away. Why? Because they're no longer necessary. The canon of Scripture is complete. We have everything written that we need to know. We don't need somebody to stand up in church and say, I have this revelation from God because we have his full revelation to us in the pages of Scripture. So we don't need that office of of prophet anymore. We can see in Ephesians 2 why this, this particular office went away. It says this, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. How many times, for those of you who are construction workers in this room, how many times do you build a foundation? You build it once, right? You lay the foundation and everything else is built on top of that. Paul says the apostles and their prophets were the foundation, Christ was the cornerstone, and everyone else is built on top of that. When you build a building, you don't put a foundation at floor two and floor three and floor four. You just have one foundation. Everything else stacks up on top of that. So Paul is saying the apostles, those who walked with Jesus Christ, and the prophets, those who gave the early church all of its revelation about Jesus Christ, those laid the foundation. Now today, you and I simply build on top of that. We don't have apostles anymore. We don't have prophets anymore. We simply take what they built, their foundation, and we go from there. Bert read this morning in Ephesians 4.11, and it says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd teachers to equip the body for the works of ministry. We know that the apostles and the prophets ended with the early church, but we still have today evangelists and shepherd teachers. That's what we call pastors. So we have evangelists and we have pastors who take everything that the apostles and the prophets wrote down in Scripture and we say, here's what now we teach and what we carry on to the church. So we have this gifting today. Now, we'll talk more about why... Um, some of those gifts ceased when we get into chapter 13 and Paul talks about when the perfect comes. We'll get there. Last two this morning. And I know this has been more kind of informational flow um, as we think about what these gifts mean. What were the last two? Well, the last two are at the end of verse 10 and they were the tongues and the gifts of tongues. And I'm not going to say a whole lot about these particular gifts because chapter 14 deals in great detail. In fact, Chapter 14 um, is a rather daunting chapter. 
It's one of those chapters that as a pastor, you'd like to get to 13 and just sort of skip over to 15 because 14 is, is it's tough. Uh, when we get in there, we'll, we'll deal more specifically with tongues and with the, with the gift of tongues. But let me just say this. Tongues, when the Bible talks about tongues, it refers to the ability to speak an unlearned living language. Tongues is not gibberish. Tongues is not some goobly gop that, that somebody just says that's unintelligible and that's no benefit for any listeners. Anytime in scripture when tongues were spoken, they were real languages. Now the person speaking it didn't know what they were speaking. That's why there was a gift, an interpreter there, but it was a known language. If you go back and you look in, in Acts where the Holy Spirit uh, came down and it says that those in the upper room spoke in tongues and everybody around, Gentiles and Jews around said, wow, I'm hearing the message in my own language. I'd never heard this before. The speaker didn't know what he was speaking, but clearly it was a learned language. It was, it was a language that was real. So in the church, one person would speak in a foreign tongue and another person would interpret. That's why if there was no interpreter, then the person speaking in tongues was not allowed to speak. Because if a person speaking in tongues is speaking with no interpreter, it's of no benefit to anyone. Neither the person speaking it nor those listening. Because the person speaking it doesn't know what they're saying. The person, people hearing don't know what they're saying. You have to have an interpreter whenever there's the gift of tongues. This is a big deal to the Corinthians. They like to be showy. They like the gift of tongues. And so whether there was an interpreter in the room or not, they just like to speak in tongues because it made them look cool, made them look wise. And Paul comes along and he says, if there's not an interpreter, then I don't want you speaking in tongues because nobody gets any benefit out of that. Those are temporary gifts. We know that again from 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, for as for tongues, they will cease. They will serve a purpose for a time, but they're not a a permanent gift. The tongues were used to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, but once the gospel had been spread and once the early church was established and, and maturing, the gift of tongues is no longer necessary. We don't need that anymore. We, we have the scripture finished here. We can speak it in, in native tongue now. We'll go into a lot more detail about that when we get into chapter 14. So why did Paul pick on these particular gifts? The Corinthians liked being wise. They liked to utter knowledge. They liked to be prophets. They liked to speak in tongues. It's no wonder Paul came along and said, I need to help you understand what these gifts are for because these gifts can be subject to great abuse. I want to conclude like this. At the beginning of this sermon, I said, it's easy to get all caught up in trying to figure out what your particular spiritual gift is. And it can consume you. It can consume, you can search scripture and, and, and try to find your gift. But I want to encourage you, I would rather that you be preoccupied with the giver than the gift. I would rather that you make it your passion uh, to go after Christ as opposed to go after a gift. 
You may go your whole lifetime and not be able to circle one and say, that's mine. But I would rather you look to Christ and say, Christ, however you empower me, that's how I'm going to serve others. I'm not going to go after a particular gift necessarily. I'm just going to let you use me with how you want to use me. Jesus is the awesome one. We say that. Jesus is the beautiful one. He deserves the attention. And so I would just encourage you, as we pause in this book of 1 Corinthians and look at Christmas for a little while and come back to it, to take a look at yourself and say, God, how have you uniquely gifted me? I might not be able to define it. I might not be able to point to a particular verse, but however you've gifted me, I want to use that in service for this church. I'm going to use that in service for others. And you let the definitions go home with him. Okay? Be preoccupied with God himself. Let me pray for us this morning. God, I know that you have gifted every believer in this room with particular gifts. We don't always know what those are. We know what they look like because we can see them in action. But it's hard for us sometimes to define them. It's hard for us to sometimes put our finger on them. And so I pray that you would just help us to be content to serve in whatever capacity you've called us. Father, we know that some gifts were given to authenticate the word that was being spoken, to authenticate the gospel, to validate Scripture. So I'm so thankful that today we have in our hands your written word, that we now have a standard, the canon, that we can compare um, and we can distinguish uh, between what is right and what is wrong. I'm thankful that we have this solid, unchanging word that we can go back to, and I'm thankful that you've preserved your word for some 2,000 years, the New Testament, the Old Testament, even longer than that. And so I pray that as a body, when someone tells us something, when someone has a specific message of, from God for us, when someone says that they need to remind us of something, Whatever it is, Father, I pray that we would be quick to go back to the book that you've given us to know whether it's true or false. I pray that we would be quick to ground ourselves in Scripture because we know that Satan is still there and that Satan is the great deceiver and that many times Satan would like to trick us into thinking that something is true when in fact it's not. He disguises himself as an angel of light. And so I pray that we would be quick to run back to Scripture and say, what does your word say about that? What does your word say about it? Father, I pray that you would continue to use us as a church, as a body, that we would continue to function in such a way that would bring you glory, that we would be preoccupied with you, that we would be consumed with you and not necessarily what we are, what our gift is. Father, help us to walk by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. And in so doing, Father, we'll exercise the gifts whether we know we're doing it or not. So I love you for it. 
pray you'd help us. In Jesus' name, amen.